In episode 134 of the Futurize podcast, the topic is Articulating the Future. Our guest is Dave Ho, CTO and co-founder of York and Chapel. Futurized is a bi-weekly show preparing you to think about how to deal with the next decade's disruption so you can succeed and thrive no matter what happens. Futurized goes beneath the trends to track the underlying forces of disruption in tech, policy, business models, social dynamics, and the environment. Futurized, conversations that matter. I'm your host, Trun Arne Unheim, futurist, author, investor, and serial entrepreneur. Join me as I discuss the societal impact of deep tech, such as AI, blockchain, IoT, nanotech, quantum, robotics, and synthetic biology, and tackle topics such as entrepreneurship, trends, or the future of work. On the show, I interview smart people with a soul, founders, authors, executives, and other thought leaders, or even the occasional celebrity. In this conversation, we talk about marketing during the pandemic and using AR technology for marketing and what will happen to customer choice values in the future. If you're new to the show, seek particular topics or are looking for a great way to tell your friends about the show, which we always appreciate, we got episode categories and those can be found at futurized.org slash episodes. They are collections of your favorite episodes organized by topics such as entrepreneurship, trends, emerging tech or the future of work. At this stage, Futurize is lucky enough to have several sponsors, and you can check them out at futurize.org slash sponsors. Before you do anything else, make sure you are subscribed to the newsletter on futurize.org, where you can find hundreds of episodes and conversations that matters to the future. Thanks so much. Let's begin. Dave, how are you? Very good. How are you doing today? Um, fantastic. Fantastic. Let's talk about the future of, uh, of, of articulating brands. It's a fascinating subject. Brands is uh, important these days. I, and I think even more so, you know, in this COVID period when, you know, a lot of brands are looking to reinvent themselves a little bit and coming out of their marketing shell over the last year and a half, we're, we're noticing a lot of companies really looking to kind of reinvent themselves and try to kind of establish who they are going forward in this uh, kind of new new world. Well, it is a new world, uh, but you've been in it for, for a little bit. I wanted to talk about you first, Dave, because, you know, you actually, you, you have an education in design from, from Yale and you've been lecturing on, on this broader topic of, of sort of design, I guess. Uh, but you also have a fascinating kind of personal life. You travel quite a bit. Yeah, you've been spending a lot of time in, in Turkey, Istanbul, you, you're telling me. And last time we spoke, I believe you, you were in Istanbul. Uh, and you have built up this uh, Young and Chapel, uh, pretty global by now, uh, marketing agency, digital agency, with uh, offices kind of around North America and uh, and abroad. So, how did you come upon this? You know, I understand design. You were educated in design, but uh, becoming a founder of an agency was that something you always had in mind? Um, yeah, I think I was very entrepreneurial. Uh, my entire life, and uh, for better or for worse, I've really only had one job, and that was in design, um, in the design field, right? So, never end up working at McDonald's or in retail. Uh, my first job was in design, and I'm fortunate to be still doing it today, in one form or another. So, uh, I started my own company with a friend of mine when I was a sophomore in college. Uh, we you know, had local clients and we designed logos and at those at that time, you know, brochures and print and business cards uh, and kind of went on from there. And after graduating from Yale, I was brought on. I had an opportunity to work for, you know, some larger companies uh, in New York um, and in kind of some, some big metro areas. But I took a position where I was able to be a partner in a firm right away. Uh, the the owner of the company uh, was also a Yale graduate and wanted to bring on a, another Yalee into the company. And at that time to head up what was uh, um, called New Media, right? Which was everything web related. So at that point, it was still very new. Everything was very new. Graduating from Yale, I had almost like the perfect timing because uh, the web was just becoming a viable medium for communication at that time. 
I remember Hugh Dubberley, who was at Netscape, who was a Yale graduate, um, but was at that point the um, creative director at Netscape, if anyone remembers that old browser uh, uh, technology. And he, he brought uh, uh, Netscape to, to Yale to show the students and to kind of get some feedback and kind of talk about you know, technology. Uh, and so I had a very early exposure to that, uh, ended up uh, creating what I think, if I remember correctly, was the first graduate design thesis um, on, on web, on uh, using web technology. So, um, so that's my minor claim to fame. Uh, that must have served you well, uh, Dave, as it comes to, uh, you know, to branding and marketing, because, you know, I've had people on the show talking about, you know, the evolution of digital marketing before, and, and it's not immediately obvious that the profession has fully embraced it, and certainly the workforce, right, traditionally strong on creative, uh, but maybe not as strong, surprisingly not as strong on, on technology, certainly not on deep technology, you know, picks up trends uh, fast as a profession, perhaps, can talk about it, uh, but maybe not with the depth uh, necessary. So that must have been a competitive advantage for you. I think it really has been, and we've been super uh, um, opportunistic. As technology changes, we've changed our company to maximize our opportunities there. And uh, interestingly enough, you know, my graduate thesis was on the intersection between design and technology. And so I've continued forward on that thesis through my professional career, where I'm really focused on uh, what's coming up next, uh, the trends in technology driving uh, marketing uh, and creative. So we were super early onto social media. I remember knocking on clients' doors, telling them about this wonderful, cool thing called Facebook and getting the door slammed in my face. So I don't know what that is, right? Um, only to get you know callbacks six months later when you know Facebook was all over the news and being featured in all sorts of publications and uh, getting callbacks and say, oh, Dave, I remember you coming in to talk about this. Can you uh, can can you give a presentation to our team about what what this social media thing is like? So I certainly remember those days vividly. Um, and as technology continues to advance and evolve, we've uh, you know jumped on the bandwagon early for developing mobile apps, uh, and then with uh, a virtual reality. Uh, and now in, in the AR spaces, that's starting to you know um, become a more viable medium for for companies to to utilize. Well, let's speak about that a little bit from uh, because marketing during a during a pandemic, we should say, because post pandemic sort of sounds a little bit uh, odd at this point, uh, unfortunately. But there were some surprising changes that you noted, uh, even sort of like early mid pandemic, uh, when it comes to marketing perspectives and spend in companies well i mean the obvious thing would be you know we're not together so we have to rethink broadly sort of events but what happened or started happening to to engagement more broadly and what you know what is sort of the what happened in in, in companies essentially what to the marketing function from from your perspective when the pandemic hit what what were they doing were they just uh, sort of like buttoning down or what was the first knee-jerk reaction well, the first knee-jerk was to shut everything down and because companies weren't making money, right? They were not able to sell products. They weren't able to uh, um, do much. So, you know, we saw uh, um, business fall by 80% overnight. And that was just, like, incredibly shocking, right? Um, and... Uh, uh, basically companies uh, uh, just kind of hunkered down. They didn't know how long it was going to take. And so uh, all marketing activity essentially just you know dried up except for maintenance stuff. We had anticipated that companies would uh, you know double down on e-commerce, obviously, uh, and uh, uh, you know find different ways to market digitally. And and that sort of con that did sort of come true. Uh, during the you know the initial phases of 
the the pandemic. But the reality was that those who were already doing it, you know, already had it in place, and those that were not doing it, you know, were so unsure of the marketplace that they really didn't, uh, you know, want to take the risk of spending money on e-commerce when they had no revenue coming in from sales. So, uh, um, so the real big push towards more e-commerce. I thought never fully materialized, at least within our, you know, little world of clients. But what did uh, um, start to, uh, what we did start to see was when the pandemic started to loosen and, you know, after, you know, like a year, companies could no longer just sit by the sidelines and not market and not, uh, you know, release products and, and try to, uh, you know, get back on their feet. They they spend a lot of times thinking thinking about who they are, uh, what they do, uh, how they do it, um, because they probably had a lot of time on their hands, you know, uh, during during the downturn. So they really came back with a lot of questions about their brand, uh, what they stand for, how their brands can evolve, uh, you know, during this this uh, um, pandemic era, um, both in terms of reacting to what the marketplace was like, as well as positioning themselves stronger for the future. So we saw a lot of companies um, rebrand, update their brand, update their positioning, uh, kind of really focus on their core business. And and that was, so, so we just picked up a lot of, you know, work in the branding and positioning space. Uh, and that really, uh, um, became a huge part of our business as we kind of crawled out of pand- you know pandemic induced coma it's it's interesting and it was i guess a little surprising to you do you think it was because companies literally actually thought that they had to be different or they thought of themselves as different after the pandemic well i think you know to, to a certain extent society felt that way right uh, yeah. uh society i think really has changed and will probably never go back to exactly the way it was pre-pandemic. Uh, and it starts with people working remotely, uh, um, you know, working from home, uh, um, how they kind of interact with each other, how consumers interact with brands. So I think that was really part of, um, uh, I think, a natural uh, evolution for, for the companies, uh, because they're reacting to how they, you know, each individual personally felt probably, you know, the marketing manager felt things that changed and felt, you know, isolated, uh, um, felt like they needed to reinvent themselves. And that kind of spilled over into how the entire company would, would react. Got it. Um, so, so, so the rebranding part, uh, is maybe somewhat surprising. Uh, the AR uh, kind of VR trend is maybe less surprising, but uh, it was kind of fortuitous, I guess, because from what I understand, the technology to virtualize interactions for physical events was a, just about ready. Yeah, I would say it was, you know, uh, um, well, it was very hot, right, for a little while. Um, the VR space with Oculus, uh, uh, HTC kind of leading the way, uh, uh, Microsoft's uh, um, technology as well, and uh, you know Google being in the mix. You know it got a lot of attention. You know prior to the pandemic, the surprising part was really um, uh, during the pandemic, VR headsets sold like hotcakes, hot right? And you can imagine why, right? Because people were at home. This was an additional source of entertainment and a way of interacting online. So sales were like through the roof, but it was not not publicized much because of all the other news that's going on, right? So people had other things to you know talk about in the news, but uh, uh, quietly VR exploded, and you know there's stats showing that it's the most uh, um, the fastest adoption of technology ever. You know, uh, uh, faster than television, faster than the smartphone, um, and you know, it was really uh, um, uh, it became more ubiquitous in a way that was a little bit under the radar, at least for you know the mainstream media. 
But bring people in, Dave, on, on what kind of AR, because, you know, AR and, you know, all these acronyms around augmentation in, in terms of, uh, you know, these meeting technologies, they, unless you are in the meeting space and have really been subjected to them as a participant or you're paying for them because you guys are sort of suggesting, it may be, it may be so early that it actually serves to, to point out what the applications are currently doing. So one of the things you did uh, talk to me about was gesture-based navigation. Can you explain what that's all about? I mean, I just have a, I haven't used it much, but I have a vague idea because basically you, you know, you walk up to a billboard or something and then you can interact with it using your, your own cell phone as opposed to like actually having to touch any surfaces. Is that, am I, am I right about that? You're using yeah. kind of your own personal devices to interact on public surfaces. Well, actually, you don't even need a device. Uh, so in the past, we've done um, displays where you can interact with this display by just waving your hand, right? Uh, um, scroll up and down, swipe left and right, click on buttons, and it would track your hand. Um, but previous technologies required custom hardware, things like um, a 3D sensing camera. So we use uh, the Microsoft Connect. Uh, 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 a camera that had, um, you know, stereoscopic vision, right? So there's a layer of hardware necessary for that. But now with the advance of um, kind of AI-based, um, you know, visual optics, uh, you know, processing, you can do it now with a cheap webcam. So, so we've been experimenting with uh, websites even uh, where you can interact uh, with the screen just using your your webcam. So scrolling your finger up and down, you know, it'll track your finger in 3D space using a 2D camera image, right? Because it can interpolate and understand 3D space. Um, processors have gotten advanced enough and fast enough uh, to process that information in ways that you couldn't just a few years ago. So that means that uh, um, uh, the, the, while the technology had been around for a while, it's just been democratized, right? Uh, so that you can uh, do it cheaper, faster, and therefore make it more ubiquitous. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, these days I do more work in the industrial space and some of these technologies, uh, you know, which I, I guess in industries more sort of called edge technologies, they're, they're actually rapidly coming on to the factory floor. And uh, the interesting thing is then um, not, now it's not playtime, right? <laughs> it's, the, it's actually being used in, in, in kind of production grade uh, equipment pretty, pretty fast. It's, it's interesting. So, so uh, how does that uh, affect events? Uh, you know, I'm assuming you have been asked to, to run events or, or augment events for your clients. What is kind of the first technology you, you start to, to introduce to a client who's saying, you know, I want to do a splash, but it's going to have to be a, a hybrid or, or a, a virtual event. What sort of things do you bring with you in your pocket when you come to that meeting? Yeah, I think that people are still drawn to physical events and clients are desperate to get people out, right? Uh, uh, have them come to their space, have be able to show off their products uh, and interact with them. But uh, there's still a hesitancy, obviously. There are, are still a lot of, uh, you know, masking laws and, and uh, um, safety precautions, uh, you know, around the country at various events, especially big public ones. So we're, we've been heavily invested in low-touch or no-touch-based events um, where registration for events can be done online on, on your own device. Uh, so you don't have to touch anything, QR codes, sort of like what you do at restaurants when you bring up a virtual menu. Um, uh, we're, we're building that into apps uh, that allow people to register online for events uh, um, and at an event location. We're doing AR, uh, uh, virtual AR, even at an event uh, so that uh, you can use a mobile app and a camera on your phone uh, to interact with the physical space, so don't have to touch things. Um, and, uh, you know, we are preparing a 
holiday campaign, for instance, uh, for T-Mobile, uh, where we're bringing uh, um, kind of an interactive event to their flagship stores around the country where you know, consumers can interact with a holiday display without touching things, without, uh, um, you know, having to, um, you know, use hand sanitizer and, you know, things like that. Uh, and that just makes um, the event um, safer uh, and it instills a sense of confidence and uh, um, in the consumer when they come and interact with uh, these uh, kind of events that they don't, don't have to worry so much. But but your perspective here is you're you're not trying to be so innovative that you're introducing technologies that people have never heard about. You're still you're using things that are so even though they're new, they're kind of tested and tried, and they're they're going to work at mass scale. I because I, I you know, T-Mobile they don't want their promo to to fail. So you, you you're using things that even though they're fairly new, they have been tested on mass audiences. Yeah, I think that the the key is that. Um, the technologies that we're bringing uh, to bear uh, is familiar and it's easy. Uh, so there's there's no barrier to entry. There isn't uh, um, you know an unfamiliarity with it because quite frankly, you know pre-pandemic, you know how many people scan QR codes to kind of interact with the form, right? Um, but now everyone does it every time they go to a restaurant and, you know, uh, uh, just to see the menu or, or, or to, to make an order, uh, um, you know, for food. Uh, and it's, it's amazing how some, some of these restaurants by necessity have really pushed the envelope of technology uh, so that, uh, um, you know, they can scan, not only scan a menu uh, at a table, but also order from your phone and they just bring the food out to you and you can pay on your phone. Right, so uh, uh, so they, you know, by necessity, have introduced a um, vocabulary of technology that we're able to kind of pick up and introduce to events and kind of more upscale kind of uh, interactions. I mean, this is a little bit speculation because I'm sure these are not your clients, but uh, the players that have remained non-technological in this uh, day and age who, who cho have chosen perhaps to or may maybe are, are afraid still to, to implement some of these what, what's going to happen to those as as the pandemic w well whatever happens to the pandemic but you know like a couple of years from now when when a majority of businesses would perhaps have implemented these things what what happens when you if you choose to sort of ignore this do you think there is a way back where we will think of the olden days as authentic and like give me a paper menu or do you think that that's just going to be looked at as an oddity well i think that there are continuing changes right so um, more automation is definitely in our future um, we're still uh, riding the, the the great resignation wave where you know there are, you know, there were that the companies are still struggling through not enough, uh, um, you know, not enough people in the workforce to fill all the open positions. So um, the use of technology will continue to push uh, the boundaries uh, of what just a very few short years ago was unacceptable. Uh, you know, like like the restaurant example, right? Not not interacting with a server, uh, you know, paying bills all, you know, on your phone. You know, people would have thought that that would be unacceptable. Um, yeah, because it sort of negates the the whole customer experience that you're supposedly thought or were instructed to. You know, this is the fundament of our business. You know, this is what right. distinguishes us. Is when we greet you, these few interactions you really have with a client in in the you know uh, during a dinner. That presumably m most restaurant owners would have thought that that's what we are, right? Yes, uh, you know, especially neighborhood restaurants, you know, uh, mom and pop stores. Uh, you know, they develop a rapport with their, um, um, you know, patrons. And so they they proudly count on that as their reason for success. But, uh, but you know, uh, um, 
the, the, the necessity is the mother of invention, right? So, uh, you know, the fact that they can't get enough servers in means that they have to look towards technology to augment that. Um, for us, you know, the fact that the consumers are not willing to, you know, interact with uh, a physical space where there's too many people, too much, uh, you know, interaction means that we have to come up with technologies that uh, uh, instill uh, a sense of safety um, and yet still allows them to interact with the company's products uh, and, and, you know, create a marketing experience for them. Um, Dave, so, do you think physical events will become better after this? Like, w w you know, I'll, it remains to be seen w whether physical events will fully come back soon or it's going to take a while. But whatever, whenever that perhaps happens, will they be different? Will they be l in a lasting way enabled by technology? Or, uh, or are some of these things just quick fixes that aren't really adding to the experience? I think things are changed permanently. I think there's so much of society that's going to be changed permanently, uh, um, uh, like remote work, right? Uh, um, Zoom calls, uh, that that fabric in society, it's not going to, go, you know, reverse. Uh, and, uh, and people are going to learn to accept, you know, uh, uh, more technology in their events uh, um, in exchange for safety. So I, I believe that there's been a scarring of the American psyche and global psyche uh, so that uh, um, the, the old way of doing things are not going to be acceptable anymore. Talk so, to me more about this scar tissue because that was an interesting thing we, we had this discussion a little earlier, the scar tissue of the pandemic. I, I kind of, I liked that expression. I don't know if you came up with it, but it is an interesting way to look at it. Yeah, I mean, when this, the, these kind of uh, um, global, national and global, uh, um, you know, changes uh, in the cultural zeitgeist really uh, makes uh, a lasting impression. You know, it, you could equate it to 9-11, you can equate it to World War II, the Vietnam War. Uh, um, people are not going to forget uh, this um these two years now, right, going on two years of the pandemic, even if, you know, the, the, the uh, vaccination rates, you know, get to a point where the virus is not, not uh, um, uh, such a danger, you know, the news now is that they're releasing, you know, antivirals uh, that will help treat the, the um, COVID. So, uh, you know, there will be a point where we kind of get back to some level of normalcy in the sense that you know you're not afraid for your life every time you go out but you gotta you gotta imagine that lingers right uh you know it's like those people who have gone through uh the great depression right even when the economy was fine and you know the the uh, uh um the the entire country was on a upswing you know they don't forget they don't change some of their kind of core ways of uh, behaving, you know, uh, uh, being, you know, being cheaper and kind of saving money and being very cautious and conservative in how they spend their money, right? So we're going to, you know, uh, probably be writing about this, you know, for years and years in the future, you know, how people have changed their habits, you know, uh, since the, the, the pandemic. Uh, in, in yeah, I, I wanted to I wanted to share something that's actually uh, uh, I guess it dates uh, dates us a little bit. But you know, I, I I ran the Boston Marathon on Monday, and it's still in my presence, and a lot of experiences there. But uh, it brings up uh, w one thing that I think is related to what we're talking about here, because you you have talked about scar tissue, but you've also talked about how you know you're a mark uh, you know you're in marketing, and there's also safety theater. So, for example, I don't. I think it was like every three miles, or certainly very often, I saw these uh, military police officers, which is unusual because you expect to see police officers, but you know, military police takes it to a whole other level. And I would say, even though I kind of know that that's safety theater in a sense that I don't really think that right now, you know, X number of years after what happened in a marathon, I I don't really think 
I hope that there's not an active threat that would necessitate military presence at a, at a public event like that. So I would argue those some of those things are safety theater. But I have to admit, I'm not more of a safety theater. You know, I'm, a, I'm an avid watcher of safety theater. It felt good to have those people there. And before start, you know, I, like everybody else, we greeted them. We said, thank you for being here. So talk to me a little bit about safety theater because it's not a joke. I mean, in the same way that marketing, you know, it, it can be seductive, but it's not a joke. So there, there is some, some of that is actually sim- simultaneously real and artificial. Right. Like, so talk psychology. to me about this. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's about the psychology, you know, because we're not robots, right? We're not, uh, uh, we're like unfeeling, you know, when we, you know, uh, uh, no matter how we interact with uh, um, in society as a whole, right? And the first time I heard about safety theater had to do with 9-11, you know, uh, with, you know, the, uh, uh, the, the whole you know, checking of your bags, the scanning and the body scans and stuff like that. Uh, um, uh, it, it, to, even today, it feels reassuring. And yet, you know, that term uh, safety theater, I really first heard, you know, in reference to all the things that they were doing post 9-11, right? Uh, uh, Where, uh, you know, I think it was proven that that factually it didn't add that much safety uh, to the the actual act of flying, Uh, that the actual flying was already extremely safe, Um, but it was a necessity for us as a society, psychologically, in order to uh, um, be able to even get on a plane, we have to feel that level of safety. So, uh, so that's going to be something that uh, um, that we grapple with as a nation uh, when it comes to events and it comes to being out in public. Well, you've uh, said you've even partnered with some health and safety uh, companies to to really, really bring to, I mean, it wouldn't have been pre-pandemic something you as a marketing agency for an event like, yeah, okay, if you're if you're running a, an event like the Boston Marathon, of course, you will be in touch with health and safety. But even for much smaller events now, both health and safety for for different and somewhat related reasons are like concerns. If you're running an event of 100 people, you, you actually have to take these things into account. And, and like you said, it affects the, your choice of technologies and, and fundamental ways of communicating with the, with the attendees. Yeah, we're working, uh, you know, we have had a you know, long-term working relationship with a, uh, a Canadian-based uh, um, firm called uh, Aura Health and Safety. Um, and they uh, are a company that monitors the, the, the environment uh, uh, and pre-pandemic, they they make sure the air quality was good, the water quality was safe, and uh, things like that, right? There's no chemicals, uh, um, you know, in 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 the environment. Um, but uh, with with the pandemic, they they fo- they shifted the focus and uh, was really helping companies create a safe environment for their employees, uh, for their customers. Uh, and we par- partner with them to create a product called Cora uh, that helps risk uh, um, do risk evaluation, right? Because risk is not a is it safe is it not safe thing, right? It's it's shades of gray, and uh, um, uh, so so the Cora software product allows you to uh, assess any given environment, uh, whether it's a um, a store, pop-up store at a mall, or uh, a factory in the Midwest, um, and evaluate what the you know what the risk levels are, uh, and that allows us as uh, uh, as marketers to put on events, and it allows our customers uh, uh, that are companies that run you know physical locations uh, make decisions on how to you know maximize safety. Um, at least understand what the, the 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 risk levels are at you know doing different uh, events and activities. So th- that's super interesting. If if you extrapolate from from this you know our discussion, which is uh, you know the a mix of of the kind of the uh, the timeless marketing practices and and these sort of event uh, you know these events that have occurred and and the kind of new environment we find ourselves in. If you look at the future. Uh, what will actually happen to kind of customer choice values? You know, traditional ones 
that affect the game of marketing, you know, quality and convenience and price and stuff. And then you have kind of the heritage of uh, the sustainability movement and then, you know, ethical sourcing, their responsibility, a lot of new values coming in. What are, and, and then this this last layer, the COVID layer, I guess, is, is kind of health and say health for sure. And, um, uh, and, and also this idea of, of sort of the touchless world what are you think the the most important salient sort of values that are that are going to change this sort of customer journey over a much longer time span so you know right now we're we're sort of talking a mid pandemic perspective but if you if you look like a decade from now which presumably right will have covid somewhat under control in most parts of the world but what's going to remain there what are some of the new things perhaps that's going to happen where is marketing for you a timeless game where you're just sort of managing all these values and they kind of dial up and down a little bit but you just gotta keep tabs on it or are there fundamentally new things like you you talked about the scarring thing so uh you know is is society going to have more of these sort of scars that you always have to take into account or are we could we at some point go back to relatively simple sort of post-war marketing where you were just focusing on reaching kind of nice, cohesive mass markets? Is, are we ever going to go back to something that looks more like mass marketing or, or is this all now going to be just you're a psychologist, essentially you're not a marketer anymore? Right. You know, I, uh, um, I, I think that uh, even pre-pandemic, the idea of mass marketing is already starting to fragment um, because technology just allows companies to micro-target uh, um, consumers in a way that makes it much more efficient uh, for them, makes, more, uh, makes their dollars go further. Um, you know, the rise of social media uh, in the last decade has really kind of driven uh, a data revolution. Um, that um, sure, there's been some some flack for it, right? What Facebook does, continues to do, uh, what the uh, data privacy uh, laws and being enacted, you know, having been enacted in Europe and influencing what's happening in the U.S. So, you know, those things uh, um, really continue to evolve the art of marketing. Um, and uh, more and more, it becomes the science of marketing. Uh, more and more, it becomes uh, you know um, understanding uh, data and trends in a way that um, uh, uh, there's no going back. You know, as uh, you you know you were you know setting up the question of you know is, is there a possibility of us kind of you know rolling things back to a simpler time? Uh, you know my my answer is no. You know that uh, um, that it's it's an evolution, right? Uh, uh, marketing is always an, an evolution, and uh, whereas previous uh, epics of uh, uh, marketing have been longer, in the span of decades, years, uh, um, as we move forward, that that pace is quickening. Right, uh, um, fundamental changes uh, are happening um, in, in a few years' time, not over decades. So, um, so because and because of that, and and also driven by um, the pandemic and highlighted by the pandemic, we're going to see continue to see these, you know, ever fastening uh, uh, changes, you know, in how we market. So there's a lot of um, read and react in marketing these days, right? But Dave, uh, does that really mean that the products are getting more sophisticated too? Like there, you know, there, there's talk of personalization, and sometimes it's gimmicky, and sometimes not. You, you have kind of seem to imply that marketing overall, because of the branded identity of of companies uh, that you've been talking about, how they wanted to rebrand. And there, there's like this sense that I get from what you're saying that companies generally, at least for now, are choosing to position themselves as less showy. So they might want to, you know, deep inside put on a, a, a big show, but they're more careful about doing so. 
because the backlash of coming off as kind of tone deaf to the circumstances or whatever it is, that's sort of what I'm asking also. I mean, is is that going to go back? I mean, we'll, because there was such a talk about the roaring 20s coming back with the vaccine. And that moment, at least kind of, it, you know, in the eyes of the media hasn't happened yet. And it seems like to, to you also, you would say that that hasn't come. Will there? Will that never come back? Will the roaring tw- was that idea completely far fetched? Yeah, I, I think so. I think that that was um, kind of optimistic thinking, right? Um, uh, because it, uh, because I don't believe the pandemic is uh, uh, is a cut and dry, you know, thing, right? It's going to evolve, right? You, you know, at the beginning of the pandemic, who knew that there'd be a Delta variant and then other variants and uh, you know, how it would linger and not enough people getting vaccinated and, you know, uh, and different parts of the country, right? I'm fortunate enough to be in Connecticut where vaccination rates are high. Uh, uh, life feels, you know, somewhat normal, uh, but that's not true in uh, in some parts of the country, right? Where, where it remains stubbornly high, even though recently it's been declining. And then as we head into the winter, you know, everyone's worried about how that's, you know, going to uh, to come across, right? So, um, so I do think that uh, um, uh, we live in a much more fractured time, uh, from uh, uh, from our brands to our politics to society in general, um, and uh, um, we're in an age where we deal with the fractured nature of society and how uh, um, we as marketers have to react to that and how we have to create um a, a, you know a sense of um familiarity uh for our clients uh so that their products feel comfortable and wanted and um uh, a necessity for uh, for their customers so yeah i mean it's i think it's a difficult time to uh, uh to market um uh, even with all the technology that's that's available, I think the technology makes it even harder for some companies to make the right decisions. There's a there's a there's a technology overload uh, phenomenon, uh, uh, and uh, uh, making it hard for some companies to tell the forest from the trees, uh, um, because there's a lot of noise out there. There's a lot of you know data noise um that prevents them from making you know the right big you know right decisions i i just wanted to talk about one more thing that uh that that i found interesting in in uh in the activities you guys have i know you have been developing this vr based pharma product and and that's again a a little bit on this bandwagon of sort of like technology commoditizing a little bit but but making real change because it's actually approaching a level where you can actually educate uh so in this case it was autism therapy talk to me about how that project came came about and you know what can actually be done now when you're putting so now we're away from events we're actually into real education so not just product education but uh talk to me about how that product got about and what can you do now you know from your perspective with sort of vr in in an educational context well, in, uh, so we partnered with Samsung and Roche Pharmaceuticals to um, to develop a, a therapeutic, a VR therapeutic, uh, which helps uh, people on the autism spectrum um, and and helps train them uh, for better uh, for developing better social skills. Um, people with autism on the spectrum have uh, difficulties with um, uh, social interaction. So things like making eye contact, um, staying on topic in conversations, um, are not easy for them. So, uh, uh some of that, uh, therapy that they, uh, go through, uh, has to do with training these social skills, train, you know, uh, and honing them, uh, so that they can, you know, function, uh, more smoothly in society. Um, our product that we developed with Samsung, you know, allows uh, uh, autism patients to practice these skills uh, in a virtual environment, so that they don't, uh, you know, have to, 
you know, go to the mall and go to the airport to experience what it's like to go to the mall and go to the airport, right? Um, you know, there's been, uh, uh, there was at one point some, you know, news that uh, uh, airports were installing these uh, um, safe rooms uh, that allow, you know, people uh, with uh, autism to, a, a place to decompress, right? Because airports are a high stress environment. Um, and sometimes, you know, they could, they could be overwhelmed by the stimuli and they're needed you know, airports needed to have a place where they can bring somebody when when they would have these episodes. Um, what the, the the product that we helped develop uh, uh, allows is for a uh, autism patient to work with um, a clinician or a doctor to uh, 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 to practice what it's like to go through these high stress environments. They can control the level of stress. The level of not, uh, the lights, the, the, the sound of the environment, so that they can get used to these uh, high-stress situations. Now, this starts to stray away from marketing and now becomes something that is life-affirming, uh, that, that makes a real difference in, in people's lives. And uh, um, I'm almost curious why you got involved with that project, but uh, I think you had a history of, of, of working with a pro bono client in that space. Was that how you got, got, got there? Because it, it, yeah. it is, like you're saying, it doesn't sound to me like marketing. Yeah. Well, I mean, we, we've, as a company, um, uh, you know, have had a, uh, have, you know, since the very founding of the company, um, uh, volunteered for pro bono work with charitable charitable organizations. Um, and we've selected one client every year uh, in which we provide uh, um, discounted or pro bono services, right? So we've had a long history of, of doing that. Um, uh, this opportunity um, kind of came out of our experience in VR. So we've, you know, been on the VR train for the marketing aspect uh, since, you know, the very early days of the technology. So, um, so we had a lot of experience. And so even with a company like Samsung that produced the hardware, they, they were not, you know, producers of, of, um, you know, VR experiences. So they came to us to partner with them, uh, on something like this. And Roche, of course, then provided the, um, the medical knowledge, the clinical knowledge, uh, to create a product that, uh, um, that works with doctors and works with clinics uh um to tr to accurately track the progress of uh individuals in a scientific way right um so you know the, it, you know these three companies really kind of came together to to form something that that was truly um uh, game changing you know there have been other products on the market but they didn't go the extra mile right they didn't they didn't create an experience that uh um uh, that uh, was that, that had the medical rigor uh, that we were able to to produce. So we were able to do things like track eye movement, right? Track gaze. Uh, you know, there's a fine line between making eye contact and staring, right? So right. Uh, uh, so we you know we we had to kind of create the mechanisms for uh, um, uh, for measuring that. Um, and uh, and even went so far as like measuring heart rate uh, using like the Samsung smartwatch, right? So you can track your pulse. So that helped us help uh, track the patient's level of stress. So really was a truly fascinating uh, uh, a project that uh, uh, probably got put on hold as soon as uh, <laughs> COVID got uh, uh, you know started to take over and and. Uh, um, and, and, you know, Roche uh, really shifted its priorities in, into tackling the pandemic. Well, lastly then, uh, you know, do you feel that going forward, so AR kind of, like you said, rolled out really fast. VR is admittedly still in a very early stage, and it's almost like in a perennially early stage. But is it now finally also ready for prime time? In, in you know, I was hinting at more like educational use cases. I know you're sort of like early days exploring, thinking about that. But if you were sort of just as a prognosticator without thinking about an actual project, is VR... Uh, what sure, the what other would it way take around. for VR to be ready for education? Uh, the other way around, VR was the one that's out very quickly. 
um, and now AR, augmented reality, is is uh, um, uh, sort of at the cusp, right? So um, oh, so you would say VR is already out there? Because maybe we just have a difference of of opinion. I I, I sort of think of tracking VR. I think it's out there, but it's never at its potential. But right. you, you mean, feel different. That's absolutely true, right? That's absolutely true. I mean, in, uh, uh, so so VR, you know, really was out of the gate with the Oculus, with the big headsets, right? Right, um, right, right. The products cost- at the consumer level were there yes, and costly. The yeah, yeah. So, you know, the uh, Sony PlayStation, right? So, uh, um, uh, so it really did hit a critical mass in terms of uh, the, the products on the market, right? But it never took off you know, in society in a way that some envisioned that it'd be like ubiquitous, right? Um, I think really the, the problem is the hardware, right? The hardware, uh, while fantastic, right? And, and, and really can create this truly immersive experience. It's still bulky. It's still heavy. Uh, it's still wearing this monstrosity on your head, right? You wouldn't want to go out in public like that, right? So, uh, um, so, the, so, so there's that, right? So, uh, uh, so while uh, VR is um, uh, quite successful in entertainment, in gaming, in education, uh, um, you know, in in the Samsung uh, kind of experiences uh, that we created, um, it's just probably never going to take off as a mass consumer everyday product sort of thing. Where, whereas uh, uh, AR um, is still at the potential stage, right? Uh, it's like, you know, it's like drafting a player in a professional sport. They have potential, right? <laughs> uh, well, AR, they have potential, they're, like, they're, they're the star, <laughs> you know, uh, even without doing anything. So uh, uh, I so guess AR the, in itself is like, you know, I don't know if there's one sort of promoter of AR. There's probably that's what the issue is. There are many platforms, and because there are many platforms, no one uh, associates AR with a kind of a bulky future. It 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 has a, a number of kind of instantiations, and it could go so many places. And but but it's also, I guess, so much more powerful and adaptable as an idea. I would say because the idea that reality has primacy like reality is reality and it is real and very effective and it has been for thousands of years but we can augment components of it that's for me at least such a much more powerful idea and you can go so many more places with it because there's less failure risk right because all you're doing is you're trying to augment something and you can always isolate that down to something that you truly without question, can augment. And, and these are the things it seems like you have focused on in your events and other things. Well, in, in, in terms of the software side, I think that uh, we have the tools in place to make AR, you know, um, a, a very immersive and, and pervasive experience. Um, we're waiting, waiting for the, the hardware quite frankly, right? So yeah. um, everyone's waiting for Apple to make a splash. You know, it, uh, the Apple glasses have has been forever in the news uh, as, a, uh, as the next big thing. Uh, and we're still waiting years and years after, you know, the rumors have been out. Uh, Google Glass has never really taken off because of its sort of geeky design quality. Uh, um, and now it's really just, uh, a product for uh, engineers and developers now, right? The, yeah, it's a the, Google Enterprise product. Exactly. So, uh, um, so they've pulled back. Um, you know, the uh, the company North uh, that puts out these really regular looking glasses um, with um, uh, um, visual overlays. It's it's very. Uh, uh, um, uh, they have a lot of potential. Right, I, I think um, their their first product um, looks and feels great. Um, they, it's not true augmented reality, as in it's just uh, um, you know information display. Um, but if they're able to continue to push the technology envelope uh, into true AR, um, you know a company like that can make a big splash. Um, and uh, um, and the marketing aspects of that are tremendous. Um, you know, everything from, 
um, you know, being able to get instantaneous information uh, when you're shopping, um, to directing people to your product, um, to, you know, doing flash sales and, uh, you know, instant wins, uh, you know, uh, when you interact with, with the product. So there's a lot of potential uh, for marketers and advertisers, um, you know, once AR becomes um, more widely available in a way that is <laughs> that it's not just you know in, in a fashion sense complete turn off right <laughs> um, Dave I, I have to ask you as like a last question I don't know what you think of this term but the metaverse is something that is really circulating out there as a, a term that for most people is new but of course it's an ancient sort of sci-fi term from uh, you know from the olden days of like 90s sci-fi but but now suddenly you know i guess facebook and others are are like promoting it as as something massive that's coming what, what do you think are the interesting opportunities for brands in in the metaverse because it is i guess right now the way i see it is it's a brand created opportunity to to discuss it and it's like the potential is branding but originally i think the ideas were more that it is a completely new platform like the internet but for now it seems like the the way most people talk about it is like a new brand universe that's that's why i'm bringing it up to you to you like this idea that there's sort of like actual real interaction going on in a virtual space uh, of a commercial nature that sort of feels very real i don't know that, that that's at least the notion that i think is being marketed now do are, are you spending any time thinking about this for your clients i mean not not as a not as a term or a terminology, um, but certainly in in the sense that uh, um, the the entire possibility of, uh, of digital interaction um, feeds into that, right? Um, so that ranges uh, from the web to your mobile experience to social media to AR and VR. Um, uh, it all kind of adds up, right, to the entire digital footprint uh, of your brand's interaction uh, with the consumer. So, um, to, so to think about it in a, a metaverse sort of way uh, as a cohesive uh, strategy, I think has merit, right? Uh, uh, because a lot of times brands uh, treat each of these digital components as uh, separate activities uh, run by separate people, right? So they have a, you know, a, a webmaster running their website and they have uh, a social media guru running their social media feeds uh, and then someone else developing their, uh, you know, VR experience. So uh, I, I think there's value in, in thinking about it as a cohesive whole, right? Uh, um, and I don't think that brands are really doing that these days, at least not yet. That's that's an interesting way to think of it. I I found that that's very useful. Look, Dave, it's been it's been fascinating to to dive deeper into the ways that brands are trying to articulate themselves in what seems to be a a pretty combative and fragmented uh, reality. <laughs> augmented and not i mean we're we're sort of faced with things we didn't all imagine we were going to be facing i mean if you if we had this discussions to you know two years ago we'd be talking about some new fancy gadget and and you know we would all have a very playful conversation about technology and marketing but now this is well it's a survival strategy and it's uh it's about rebuilding uh, severed connections. So it's a very different conversation. Yeah, I do think that, uh, you know, brands and, and companies are not too dissimilar to the rest of society, right? Uh, and we're all trying to kind of recover uh, uh, in a way, uh, and not just medically, but also psychologically uh, and emotionally. And I think that that's reflected in how companies and their products are being viewed and how they want themselves to be viewed. Hmm. Well, thanks a lot for for uh, this conversation, Dave. I uh, wish you best of luck with uh, many of these projects and uh, thanks. Thanks, Ron. Thank you. 
You have just listened to episode 134 of the Futurized podcast with host Trondar Nuenheim, futurist and author. If you are interested in Transproject services, feel free to check out futurized.org slash store, where you can book a keynote speech, become a sponsor or partner, request a podcast swap, or buy a few of Trans books, such as Augmented Lean, Health Tech, Future Tech, Pandemic Aftermath, Disruption Games, or Leadership from Below. If you are interested in any or all of Trans Project, check out his website at trondentime.com, which has links to his other podcasts as well as his public appearances. The topic of this episode was articulating the future, and in this episode we talked about marketing during the pandemic and using AR technology for marketing. My takeaway is that marketing is an ever-evolving endeavor trying to respond to people's need to stand out. Technology is a big part of it, but emotions play a big role too. Safety theater is part of marketing, but that doesn't mean it's all for show. As we continue to battle misinformation, marketing has a big role in mediating between objective truth and make-believe. We better engage deeply in it to understand the difference. Thanks for listening. If you liked the show, subscribe at futurize.org or in your preferred podcast player and rate us with five stars. If you like this topic, you may enjoy other episodes of Futurized, such as episode 121 on the future of MarTech, episode 112 on the future of marketing is curation, or episode 43, the future of brands in politics. Hopefully you'll find something awesome in these or other episodes, and if so, do let us know by messaging us. We would love to share your thoughts with other listeners. Futurize is created in association with Yegi, the Insight Network, and Yegi lets clients create multidisciplinary dream teams consisting of subject matter experts, academics, consultants, data scientists, and generalists as team leaders. Yegi's services include speeches, briefings, seminars, reports, and ongoing monitoring, and you can find Yegi at yegi.org. Please share this show with those you care about. To find us on social media is easy. We are Futurized on LinkedIn and YouTube and Futurized 2 on Instagram and Twitter. See you next time. Futurized, conversations that matter.